flowers as summer flowers we fade and die fade youth and beauty hurry by but All right, I will not boast. I will not boast in wealth or my. That was my fault. Or wisdom, beauty, feeling alive. But I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. I rejoice in. You just have to bargain with Al to not end up with too much on the live stream. That's the, that's the way to escape from this. Oh, Al, you know the visual feedback button? Um, the kind of monitor one at the top row? Can you turn on the visual feedback? Because I can't see the stream things at the moment. It's um, uh, one of those, like not the stream button and not the record button and not the ISO record button, but the next one across. Ace. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you know what's happened to me? I'm very short. That's my issue. But I, I actually am very short, so <clears throat> it's not too surprising. <laughs> uh, I got a little bit of a cold, yeah. 
look, now I'm normal height, and I've even got hands. So, he chopped the top of my head off this time. Now he's made me super tall. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the water. We spent a long time as a church working through the book of Acts, and I thought we should start this morning with a little bit of interaction, so whether you're um, at home, on the live stream, or here in the room, hop onto Slido and tell me, when did we start in the book of Acts? If you've been with us, was it like basically at the dawn of time, shortly after the earth cooled? Was it 2020 even? Was it 1974 when I was born? I have no idea how long we've been in the book of Acts. It feels like a really long time, 1981. I think that's probably about where I am on it too. Well, Acts told us the story of the very, very first churches and um, how this movement, this Christianity got started. Uh, We read about some amazing miracles. Um, We read about thousands of lives changed. We um, heard about uh, the radically different community called the church being formed. And for the last little while in Acts, we've been following around this guy called Paul. And um, we watched him and his team on a a thousand-mile mission trip where they've gone all across what is uh, modern-day Turkey, an area that used to be called Galatia. And if we read on just like a little bit further in Acts, we actually did. We carried on past that first trip. Um, We looked at a big important meeting in Jerusalem and how the movement kind of continued even though there was conflict and division. But back on that mission trip, Paul and his team have this parting shot as um, they leave these new churches that they've started. Uh, It's set out for us here. They have, um, they returned, it says, to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. 
We have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So the question is, what do you think happened next? Did they all live happily ever after? There's some nice little fairy tale that's going on here. No, sadly not. Um, Things went wrong. Uh, Things went wrong really quite quickly. Those small startup churches in Turkey, so-called Galatia back then, um, got into some big, hairy trouble. And what we're going to do is we're going to press pause on our journey through Acts. We're kind of almost halfway through, well, we're a little over halfway through the book of Acts. We're going to press pause there, and we're going to jump into uh, another book. We're going to do a biopsy. We're going to do like a a post-mortem. We're going to kind of open up the cadaver and see what is going on inside. All the medics are like, yeah, let's do that for real. Um, But but no, Um, we're going to see what we can learn because there is some critically important stuff uh, for us to learn here, for us as a church and for us as modern people. There's something for you to learn here. Even if you're just here exploring faith with us, there's something really important because we're going to look at the very heart of the Christian message this morning. We're going to look at the critical piece, which if you take it out, the whole thing falls apart. It's kind of like the the keystone. If you've ever seen one of those where you pull out the keystone and the building falls down, don't do that. If you ever see a keystone, don't pull it out. It'd be a really bad idea. Um, But it's like the cornerstone. And we can do this biopsy because our Bibles have a letter in them written by that guy, Paul, written to those new churches, written to them not long after he left, into the midst of the trouble that they'd run into. Now, you might be thinking, if you're here with us visiting, why do we make such a big deal about the Bible at Hope City? Well, we believe the Bible, these ancient letters and everything else that's in here, lots of stories from the history of the church and the history of God's people, we believe these things have been preserved for us because inside these books, we learn God's truth about his world. We learn God's truth about us and about our brokenness. We learn about how he is fixing it and about how we can be a part of that change. It's God's message to us. It's God's word, we sometimes call it. That's kind of your insider Christian language. This is the word of God. That's how we might talk about it because it's, it's like him speaking to us. It's what he has to say to us. So we're going to dive in. But before we dive into this new letter, okay, we are going to need a little bit of backstory. So you've got kind of an in last week's episode type of thing. You're in last week's episode before we get on to the new thing. So you know how now um, your, your computer needs like a major update about every five minutes, or, 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 or your phone now needs an update, or it's not going to work anymore soon. Your car is going to need like an update every 20 minutes, or your car won't drive anymore. Well, what we've got here, some visitors arrive in those new churches, and uh, they arrive with what they claim is a critical update. They're like, I've got a patch, an essential patch for the message that Paul has given you. I've got a patch for his teaching. I've got an update for it. Now, we don't get told precisely what is in that patch, but we can get a pretty good idea from the way that Paul responds to it. And it seems like it's very connected to what we've been looking at just a few weeks back in the book of Acts in chapter 15 with that big hoo-ha in Jerusalem, right? Here's what we read there. We read, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. They were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then a little bit later, we learn Gentiles, this is kind of the claim. This is the update. This is the new teaching. Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, a bunch of words in there that you might not have heard before. Um, 
circumcision, if you've not heard the term, is a permanent body marking ritual required for all male Jews. And the practice comes from like an ancient command of God. And it seems somebody's shown up in these Galatian churches telling people, people who are not Jewish, saying, basically, you need to become Jewish. You need to get circumcised. You need to start um, keeping the law of Moses. That is kind of how you should live when you're a Jewish person. Well, I guess when I say that they've visited these churches that have just been started and they're trying to persuade them to change their mind, that's a bit gentle and kind, really. That's generous because um, later on in this letter, Paul is going to say those who want to impress people by the means of flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So they're not trying to persuade them just. They're trying to compel them, to press them, to force them, to demand this happens. And the issue seems to be wider than just circumcision, that body marking stuff. It seems the new guys on the block are pushing people to take on the whole Jewish law, the whole way of life, their customs, their practices. Here's in another place at that letter how he describes it. You are forcing the Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, you're forcing the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs, literally to Judaize is the word underneath that, to live like a Jew. Now, before that big Jerusalem showdown that we read about in Acts chapter 15, before the main event, people with a very similar view, perhaps even the same people have been stalking Paul, kind of going to all the churches he started after him and saying, well, you know all that Paul said? I've got one more thing to add. I've got this update trying to push this update on the Galatian churches, trying to fix the message. Now, Paul, the guy who started these churches, is having none of it. He says, you are distorting it, you're corrupting it, you're breaking God's message. This is not a fix. This is, a, this is destroying it. This is the message that Jesus sent through his key followers, the, the 12 apostles, and uh, through Paul. And so we're going to start a new series. We're going to look at this letter to the Galatian churches, going to work through it relatively slowly because it's not like a narrative story um, where you can read like chapters at a time. It's densely argued stuff. So we're going to take it in little smaller chunks. Um, but as we start a new series, we like to, um, oh, lost my power. Come back, power. Uh, we, we like to, we work quite hard on our pictures around these things. And so I've got another poll for you in the land of Slido on what you think the best picture is going to be for this new series. Okay, so if you have a look in Slido just now, you can see some of the options. And what we're trying to communicate with this slide for this new series, let me show you some of those options here. I've got this one here, Galatians continuing in grace. We're trying to communicate that the idea that the Christian life is walking this path of grace, and it's a path that's easy but deadly to fall off of. So which slide do you think does that best? Do you like this one going up a mountain? Um, vote. Vote now. Your votes matter. You can decide the future of the title slide for the series. It's not such a big, exciting thing, really, is it? <clears throat> a path through the jungle. A, a deadly bridge. Do you like the deadly bridge that you could fall off the sides of? Well, what about a road through the desert, right? How easy is it to walk off of the road and into the desert? Dead easy, but you're going to die. Or I found this really beautiful mountain path. So uh, your views matter. Tell me what you think here. Have we got, oh, please fill in the survey is all it says. Well, I shall look at what you voted for later, and I shall listen carefully to your ideas. But anyway, keep voting. We're listening. What we're going to do is we're going to read the start of the letter to these churches together. It's in Galatians. So come with me, if you can find one of these blue Bibles nearby, to page 1168, and we'll read just the first bit of this letter today. Um, but of course, since it's a new book in the Bible, you know why do they do this with books? When you get to that page that's a new chapter, there's no number on it. 
so you can't find any chapters. It's, so go to 1169 and then back one page. That's how it's going to work. Jemima is going to come and read to us this morning, page 1168 or 1169 and back one. And here's a mic for you, Jemima. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's cause. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's cause. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thanks so much. Well, let's start with the good news. That'd be a good thing to start with, wouldn't it? Um, I'm going to even borrow another music stand. That's how cheeky I'm feeling today. And put my Bible on there, then I won't fall over. So let's start with the good news. So in those few verses that we just read at the beginning of the letter, you get a kind of super compact presentation of the good news at the heart of Christianity. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and of our God and Father, G- Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us. Uh, that was God's plan. That was His will worked out. And just to unpack that a little bit more, this passage talks about sins, right? Which is uh, it's it's a word that can seem pretty old-fashioned and one that means different things to different people nowadays. I think. And what Paul means here, when he uses it in his letter is all the wrong things we do, all the right things we don't do, every single little one. Not just the big hitters, not just the ones that other people see or the ones that cause damage that we know about, every single wrong thing. And he talks about our sins in this passage because he's not saying, I, Paul, do nothing wrong. And you, he's saying all of us have this problem where we all do wrong things. He sees himself in the wrong along with everyone else, because all of us get it wrong. None of us get it all right. And he tells us here, he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. And that means he took the penalty, he took the punishment, and the, the just judgment that should come for all those wrong things. He took it on himself, the one we deserve. He took it on himself, and he wiped the slate clean. Grace is the Bible word for that. Getting something we don't deserve. And this is grace. Jesus given himself for our sins to rescue us. He, he kind of lifts us up out of the fix we're in and rescues us. It's like he grabs us and hauls us out of the water. He lifts us up and rescues us 
from this present evil age. Now, this present evil age is a bit of a funny phrase, isn't it? I mean, the present evil age, I don't know if you would see it that way or not, but this is no golden age. That's definitely true that we're living in. Now, sure, technology has made some things better. It's made things go wrong more often, hasn't it, for us? But it's made some things better, too, and there's been some progress in our world through charity, but this is no golden age we're living in. There's been some progress through education, through art, through government, but this is no perfect world. I think Paul's right when he calls it a present evil age. Because the truth is, if we care to notice for just a moment that we live in a broken world, it's filled up with injustice and wrong and evil. Now, maybe there's not that much of this right in your face. Maybe you get to live in kind of a privileged enclave where things are not really that bad, where they're better. But I know many of you have actually seen your fair share of evil up close of trouble, of difficulty, of injustice. And certainly our world has seen that. Really, I think it's fair to call it a present evil age. And what makes it that way? The Bible's answer is us, you and me. Everyone, we're, we're broken and twisted, we're corrupted inside. And that comes out when we rub up against each other. That brokenness comes out and we hurt and we hate each other. We grasp for power. We put ourselves first. We ignore the needs of others. And and we can't fix it. Try as we might. We cannot fix this. There's no technology. There's no science. There's no government. There's no law that's going to fix this for us because it's inside each one of us. So, So what's the hope? The hope we have in the middle of this broken world is rescue, right? A rescue being lifted out of this present evil age. And then a renewed world one day, a renewed world flowing out of renewed people. All that is God's plan. All that is God's plan, which is being accomplished through Jesus giving himself for our sins. And I just wanted to say, if you've never heard this before, or if you've never responded to that invitation to rescue before, I want to invite you right now to hear God's call. God calls you to live in the grace of Christ. He invites you to accept this grace, this forgiveness that you don't deserve, and embrace this rescue, this lifting out of the broken world and being prepared for a new one. All you have to do is believe and say yes. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Now, if you want to say Yes, just now, because I think it's right to give you an opportunity to respond right away. Uh, If you're on the live stream, there's a button that you can click. It'll appear in chat. You can click to raise your hand digitally to God for his rescue. If you're here in the room, what I'm going to do is pray a really short prayer, and I'm going to invite you to join in inside your head. If you're already a follower of Jesus, this is a prayer you can pray to just fine. And if you dare, why not raise your hand to God for his rescue as we pray. What we'll do is we'll close our eyes, we'll pray, and then um, God will see you. So let me pray. Let's close our eyes. Father God, thank you for this good news. Um, Thank you that Jesus gave himself for our sins, that he died in our place. He took the punishment that should have been ours. And thank you for this call to live in the grace of Christ, this free gift that we don't deserve of things put right and of a rescue from this broken world. I want to respond to your call and take your hand and be rescued. And so I raise my hand to you right now. Amen. If you took a step today 
then tell somebody. If you don't know anyone to tell, you can tell me. If you're on the live stream, you can click the button to pray um, with somebody. Sarah is uh, moderating for us today on the live stream. If you're watching a recording, just comment below, and we'd love to get in touch. There is a new life for you to begin. That's the good news. That's the, the heart of the Christian faith, and it really is that simple. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. But Jemima read more than that for us this morning, didn't she? We read the bad news alongside this good news. And what you get here is something that's in all caps with flames. Have you ever gotten one of those emails? Paul is really ticked off. Uh, In fact, this is the uniquely most shoutiest letter in the Bible. If there was one letter in the Bible that was going to be in all caps, it's this one. Um, John Stott, famous commentator, says in every other epistle, that's every other kind of letter, every other epistle in the Bible, Paul goes on to pray for his readers, to praise and thank God. Only in this one, to the Galatians, is there no prayer, no praise, no thanksgiving, no commendation. Instead, you get shouty all caps. Just rebuke. Why is Paul so upset, so frankly angry about what's going on here? Well, it's because somebody's been messing with the good news. Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. The Galatians, these churches that he's writing to, are in the process of walking away from the good news we've just been talking about, deserting the good news. Worse than that, they're deserting the one who called them into the good news. They're deserting God himself. In, that's a serious charge. They're deserting God in accepting this kind of update that's being pushed on them. It's a different gospel, but he doesn't stop there. He adds, well, actually, this is not just a different gospel. This is really no gospel at all. It's not just a different gospel. It's, it, it's no gospel at all. It's like clicking continue on that update and then your phone like never working ever again and being completely dead. What's being pushed on them isn't an update. It's not a fix. It's not a correction. It's not an improvement. It's something that's going to destroy the good news altogether. Really, it's no gospel. That's a word that means good news. It's no good news at all. It's bad news. What does Paul think the biggest danger is for these fledgling churches that he just started? What does he think it is? Is it going to be wrong living from the Christians inside those churches? Is it going to be pressure from the outside? No, he thinks the biggest danger, the biggest danger is losing the message. All all the other stuff is going to come, but it's false teaching that's the killer. It's the idea that what Jesus did is not enough, that more is required. So that made me think, well, what's the biggest threat then to Hope City as a church? What what should we be worried about? Should we be worried about another lockdown? Should we be worried about the council just deleting all the parking in the entire area and turning the whole of the guile into one giant cycle lane? You know, should we worry uh, about men behaving badly or women behaving badly? Well, all of this is probably going to come our way, but it's losing the message that is our single biggest danger. This is the one that could finish it. Losing the core message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the one we've been talking about 
for the last few weeks. Get that wrong? We're deserting God. Get that wrong? You don't have like something that half works that you can still press through with? You've got nothing. If we lose the message of grace, we've lost everything. Look at how Paul describes what they're doing to the message here. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's a strong word, isn't it? They're perverting the gospel. The word means they are changing it. They're turning it on its head. They're reversing it. They're putting it into reverse. And in doing that, they're destroying it. Now, he pulls no punches. He is really cross. He calls down curses on anyone who tempers with the message. Let them be under God's curse. Oh, did you miss that? He said, let me repeat myself. Let them be under God's curse. There's no room for doubt. Anathema is the word he uses there. Uh, He declares them, be destroyed. There's nothing that gets him so worked up and fiery as this. There's nothing so important. The big point is it's all grace or there is no gospel at all. That's the big point. It's all grace or there is no gospel at all. This so-called update, Jesus plus tick a few boxes, where, yeah, you need Jesus, sure, but you've got to tick some more boxes. That is really no gospel at all. Now, if you know me, you'll know I am the sort of guy that likes to ask questions, annoying questions a lot of the time. The, the, The big question this has me asking is, well, why? Why, when we say there is anything else at all you have to do, Anything you need to add to what Jesus has done? Why are we left with nothing? Why isn't it like, you know, an update for your phone that slows it down, makes it a bit clunky and crashes every now and then, but broadly speaking, it still works? Why doesn't this just kind of like make it a little bit harder to be a Christian? Why is this end? Why is it no gospel at all? Well, here, here's Paul writing a little bit later in this same letter, and we'll get to this uh, later on. But he says, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, that's this Jewish marking act that we talked about, if you let yourselves be circumcised, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Not like Christ will be 95% of things still, and you'll have done 5%, but actually you get zero, none at all. It's like there are two different roads you can go down, two ways you can turn, and you have to choose one or the other. One depends on what Jesus has done. The other depends on what you do. And if you take so much as one step into the depending on what you do, you've lost all of the other one. It's gone. But why? Why? Is this just the way grace works? Is it an all or nothing kind of thing? You're a bit like oil and water. You just can't mix them together. They just don't mix. Is it just kind of the nature of grace? I've been turning this one over in my mind for a while now. And here's what I'm seeing as I keep on reading through and thinking through Galatians, this letter that we're going to keep on studying for a while. The reason they can't mix, the reason one tiny little drop of depending on what I do poisons the whole thing is that it's the difference between freedom and slavery. Again, a little later in the letter. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You can only be free or enslaved. If you're any degree enslaved, you are not free. There's that black and white. There, I think, is why anything we add turns this into slavery, closes the door to freedom. 
Jesus died to set us free. But if our rescue depends not just on what he's done, but also on what we do, then we are not free. We are slaves. Because you always have to ask yourself, well, did I do well enough? We'll always be asking, what exactly are the rules I have to keep? How does that work precisely? If there's a rule like I shouldn't work on Sundays, well, how does that work for doctors who need to work on Sundays? How much is work on Sundays? You know, if I turn on a light switch, is that work? You can kind of see how this played itself out in Jesus' day in the lives of a group called the Pharisees. Right? What they did is they were really concerned with wanting to keep all of God's rules. And they went to exactly these kind of questions. What does it mean to do this? What about this situation? What about when these two are in conflict? And the reality is, if you have to do anything, you never know whether you've done well enough. You never know whether you've done enough. You are always enslaved. You can never be free and sure. You always have to worry and wonder, have I done enough? How am I doing? Is 80% good enough? Where's my kind of continuous assessment? Can I get like a little report card halfway through the year that says, currently on a B, work a bit harder, you can fix it? No. Am I going to slip and fall at the last hurdle? I've done great my entire life, and then I mess it up on the last Thursday and get run down by a bus. There's no... Freedom, we can never, ever know if there's something required from outside. If there's anything at all we have to do, any standard we have to meet, then we are not free. We're slaves. Because we never know if we've done enough. Did I understand the rules right? Did I measure myself right? Have I overlooked some mistake I made years ago? Being under any law at all is like being under the whole Jewish law because it's relying on us. Here again, later in this letter, all who rely on the works of the law are under A curse, they're under a curse because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you're under it, you're under it all. If there's anything you have to add, you never know whether you've made it. It's slavery. That's no gospel at all. So instead, like Paul told us at the start of the letter, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. So if we hear his call, if we take his hand, then we are free. We rely entirely on him. Ian, a few weeks back, was talking about how Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus says it is finished. Now, it would not be finished if we still had to toe the line, make the grade. But Jesus says it's finished, and it actually is. It's done. There is nothing to do. There's no test to pass. There's no grade to make. We are totally, utterly free in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus here today, do you actually believe that you are totally free? Utterly free because of Jesus, that nothing at all more is required of you for your rescue. It's pretty easy to nod at this in principle and say, well, yeah, sure, of course I do. I've known that for a long time. This is like the ABCs. But to actually believe it, I think, is a lot harder. I mean, look at how quickly a church started by Paul himself on this foundation can lose their grip on this crucial truth. It must be somehow attractive to us and appealing to us to bring something to the table, to be a contributor. I could have been a contender, you know, that sort of thing. Look how fast we tie ourselves in knots over how exactly we have to live if we're really a follower of Jesus. 
how critical it is that we don't get the smallest thing wrong. How fast we are to rule others out and say, you definitely could not possibly make it because really you don't make my grade. It's easy in principle to understand this, all grace or nothing at all. It's hard in practice. So what I want to do is just invite you to close your eyes just for a minute. I won't do anything freaky, but just want you to have the space inside your head to imagine. Ask yourself the question right now, where is it that I fail to measure up? What do you feel like you have to do or not do? What do you feel like you have to think or not think? What do you feel like you have to be or not be to make the grade with God? Where is it that you are unworthy of this? What, what is burdening you? Where have you failed? Now, here's the crazy thing. What if none of that mattered? What if you were totally free because of Jesus? What if it truly was utterly and completely finished because that that's the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me close with a prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for this grace and peace you, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, gift to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Thank you, our God and Father, that it is your will to rescue us through Jesus' giving of himself and help us not to desert you, the one who calls us to live in the grace of Christ. Save us from the lure of thinking we've got something to bring. Save us from the prison of believing there is anything at all we can and must contribute to our rescue. Thank you that Christ has truly set us free. So today, help us to live in that freedom, unburdened, light, joyful. Amen.